0: 22 years of abuse at the hands of his wife, and no one believes him. Not his church, not the police, and all the courts care about is he is making child support payments. Now Steve Dolk is speaking out and speaking up. Here is his story.
1: This podcast contains adult themes, language, and violence. It is not suited to all audiences and may be triggering to some. In many cases, the names and details within these episodes have been changed to protect privacy. Opinions expressed by guests of the show do not necessarily reflect those of the podcast or its producers.
0: Welcome to Isolated, a podcast about male victims of domestic abuse and control, as well as those suffering as a result of parent alienation syndrome. We are not therapists or experts in this field, but seek to bring these issues to light and provide awareness of early warning signs of abusive behavior and resources for help. Hello, ISOs. I am Navi Carpenter. And I'm Chela. So what is the HAPS, girlfriend? Any juicy tidbits in the news that we need to know? There's
2: here's something interesting. All right. In Scotland, uh, 62,907 incidents of domestic abuse were reported in 2019 to 2020 across all genders, including same-gender couples. That's an increase of 4% from the previous year states in an article by Gregor Young in the National Newspaper. There was a domestic abuse act passed in Scotland in 2018, which may be the reason for increased reporting of abuse. It criminalizes coercive and controlling behavior between intimate partners, which is what we need to have here in the States. Uh, the The abuse happens most commonly on the weekends and within the home. Out of those cases, 246 were put on trial and 206 were convicted. That's an 84% conviction rate. That makes me happy. Very,
0: very happy. If anyone knows how to get such a law passed here in the States, I would sure like to talk to you. So let's dive into today's episode. As a young Canadian boy, Steve Dolk was a victim of repeated abuse and assaults by a woman who was his care provider. This strongly shaped his perception of girls and women, and he felt intimidated by them. In 1991, Steve married the love of his life, someone he considered to be the most beautiful woman in all the world, at least back then. For the purposes of this podcast, we will call her Sheila. He was apprehensive about the marriage because prior to the wedding, he recognized a mysterious thing he couldn't understand about his betrothed. But love can sometimes be blind, so he pushed it aside without diving in, a denial he would
2: later come to deeply regret. And no doubt the love bubble was coming into play. Sheila was grooming him to feel safe and secure with her by lavishing a constant stream of praise and affection. And what a short bubble it was. A
0: week after the couple returned from their honeymoon, Steve came home from work to find Sheila very agitated and on edge. He walked over to his wife, attempting to console her and asking what was wrong. And when he reached her, she punched him in the left side of the face, completely unprovoked. Steve was st- And even so, within that moment, had an overwhelming feeling of isolation. He knew he was the man, he was bigger than his wife, and who the hell was going to believe him if he said his wife had given him a beatdown? He knew he was alone in this, and whatever came next, he felt totally powerless. Over the ensuing 22 years, he was punched, kicked, hair pulled, stabbed in the chest with a pen, attacked with a knife. Steve was able to restrain Sheila when she attempted to kill him with a knife after a minor disagreement, but once he let her go, had to fend off the continuation of the attack. He said her arm was coming down in an arc with a knife in it, and he had to
2: deflect the blows. How scary. I know. I'm glad he did try and restrain her, though. Right? Many of the stories we cover, the men don't for fear it's going to get turned around and they'll be blamed for the violence. But had he not done that, he would have been dead. So bravo, Steve. Yeah. (laughs) Well, after the knife attack, Steve
0: left Sheila. He went to his parents' house to escape the abuse. Sheila came over at a time his parents had left the house once. Ironic or calculated, we don't know. But she showed up and apologized for being violent and said she wanted to work it out. Could they please go for a drive and talk? Steve said he was very insecure and naive back then, and no doubt so confused by this turn of events. He agreed to get in her car. They had only driven three blocks when Sheila shape-shifted in her caustic violent self. She started yelling and blaming Steve, the line we've heard
2: a hundred times by now. Wait, let me guess. It's his fault. He's the reason she acts the way she does. In essence, he made her do it. Mm -hmm. Right on point. Ding, ding, ding. The
0: couple reached an intersection and Sheila has one hand on the steering wheel and is hitting him with the other. Steve reaches over to the gear shift, puts the car in park and gets out to escape the hitting. He makes a mistake. He opens the back passenger door to get his stuff out and saw her beet red face in the rear view mirror, livid and vicious. She revved the car while he was half in, half out and engages the drive. Steve fell backwards underneath the car as she takes off and Sheila runs over his leg, which catches on the undercarriage and he is dragged and rolled
2: into the middle of the intersection. Then she just leaves him there and takes off. That poor man. She must have been so convincing at the house. He never expected this kind of shitstorm. I can't imagine that he would have gotten in the car if he did. He probably believed her apology
0: because you want to believe people when they apologize, it's especially when it's somebody you love. Thankfully, people came to his aid, having seen what had happened. Steve said more than the pain in his leg, he felt humiliated and ashamed. This was not the way marriage was supposed to be, and now there were witnesses to her violence and control. The violence continued consistently for Steve.
2: Wait a minute. He has these witnesses. Why didn't she get arrested for anything? Something seems off. I know. It really bugs me. I mean, you just ran over a guy. Everybody saw it, and why are you... And his own family, I mean, was yeah. present, it seems. I don't know.
0: But his interview on YouTube with the Canadian Association for Equality just jumps over what happened to him from that moment that he was left in the intersection. So I I really don't know. But he stays married to her and goes back to live in their home. Three years later, the couple has a son.
2: Oh no. enter the ultimate pawn in a coercive, manipulative narcissist game. Yep, the bargaining chip.
0: Sheila was constantly cutting Steve down, belittling him, maligning him, and it really started to take its toll. He started experiencing anxiety and depression, and around 1995 was diagnosed with acute anxiety disorder. Steve also became agoraphobic, which people mostly associate with those who don't like to leave their homes.
2: Right, but when you dig in, it's really a fear of being in situations where escape might be difficult or where help might not be available if things go wrong which
0: was his home.
2: That's yeah. what's so sad about domestic abuse is that
0: it even takes the safety out of home. So home, there really is no safe place. No, no. Home is the perpetrator's lair. It's only once you get out of the relationship, get your own place that you can begin to feel some sense of safety within the walls of home again. But now the perpetrator is the one on the other side of the door. So it's, it's hard either way. As the violence escalated, Steve finally reached out to his church community for help, only to find no one believed him. The verbal responses he got were, Take it like a man, or you're mental, or delusional.
2: I hate take it like a man. I
0: know, I know. I hate hit like a girl.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I I hate hate that phrase. Me too. (laughs) Girls are tough.
0: (laughs) On a couple of occasions, police were called to the home. He showed them his injuries and ISOs. He kept photos of all of them on his phone. Document, document, document. Go, Steve. But the cops always said that wasn't evidence enough. And since they weren't there to witness the abuse, there was nothing they could do. Steve himself called the police on a third occasion in 2012. Wait, that's 21 years after they were married? I know. And they were actually separated at that time. A psychologist had diagnosed Steve with PTSD at this point, and Steve had been warring with himself for the past few years, trying to summon the strength and the courage to leave Sheila. And he didn't want to leave the kids. That was a huge reason why he stayed. He had tried to leave Sheila after their first child was born, and the abuse was just too much. But Sheila took their son and left for several months with no word to him. He didn't know where they were or when they were coming back.
2: That's so hard. She's a monster. And I mean, how terrifying. And she's not just hurting Steve. She's hurting that kid. I agree. She's
0: completely selfish. And she did it more than once. Taking the kids and hiding out at somebody else's house. Steve was beside himself. Can you imagine not being able to see or find your kids, no. not knowing where they are? However, his psychologist told him in 2011 that he had to to leave because if he didn't, Sheila would destroy him emotionally or eventually kill him. So Steve goes home to Sheila and for the second time says he's leaving her. He goes to walk out of the house and Sheila attacked him from behind, jumping on his back, scratching his neck and arm bloody. He reached the door and opened it, whereas Sheila pushes him He falls forward into a brick wall and in so doing, essentially grates his knuckles going down. So he's got a bloody neck, an arm and hands, and Steve immediately goes to the police. He said, I need this to stop. The police took some pictures and said they would interview Sheila. The result was that she didn't harm Steve
2: and so no charges would be filed. Since when can you just deny a crime and that makes it go away? Nope, I didn't do it. Okay, you're free to go. It's crazy,
0: right? It makes zero sense. It boggles my mind. The absolute gender bias and discrimination that goes on is mind-blowing. Steve then tried to keep completely clear of Sheila, but she kept stalking him. So, yeah, no wonder he didn't want to leave the house. Sheila kept calling him at the office, texting him threatening messages, but now that she knew the police weren't going to intervene, she had a new weapon to use against Steve.
2: She could claim to be the victim and be believed, no matter how much blood she drew. I feel like maybe someone should have advised Steve to take out a restraining order against her because at least then, if he had proof she had come within a certain proximity near him, there could be reason to arrest her. Right, right.
0: One day she showed up at his house. Steve asked her to leave, but instead she kicked him in the nuts. He doubles over and she pushed him to the ground, hitting him and screaming as he writhes in pain. So he must have opened the door to her. Why would he do that? I don't know. I don't know. Describing his abuse when you watch the video interviews on YouTube, he often gives a little laugh at the most horrific parts, almost as though he still feels some embarrassment about it, which I I wish he wouldn't. We're finding this kind of abuse so very common. And what we need to get the public to understand is that these are not wimpy men who can't defend themselves. They are groomed to trust and depend on their partner, often giving up financial control. And then the abuser breaks them down emotionally until they feel completely worthless. They are then threatened, coerced, lied to, blackmailed, you name it. It is systematic Steve was a big man, physically fit and into taekwondo, but he said he was very insecure and his sense of dignity and self-worth had been completely eroded. He felt like he had no value and began to accept and believe that this was all his fault and that for some reason he deserved
2: it. And that's what Sheila would tell him, right? Yeah. You deserve this. This is your fault. You made me do it. After years and years of hearing that, who wouldn't believe it? Right. Okay, I digress. So back to the story. Steve called the police when Sheila wouldn't leave his house and
0: says that the conversation between he and the 911 operator was, quote, very
2: embarrassing. Embarrassing as in it was hard to say what was happening to him or embarrassing because of how the operator spoke to him. Steve says he still has a recording
0: of the call, but it wasn't shared in the interview. I would love to have heard it. My take was that it was the second, that what she was saying to him it was embarrassing because he wasn't getting the support and the belief in the help that's how yeah. i took it like but the
2: situation his situation was embarrassing right and he didn't you know that's so sad
0: anyway sheila left the house before the police arrived and found steve in a heightened state of anxiety hyperventilating and flashing back to many previous assaults by sheila and feeling completely isolated and alone Steve tries to explain what happened to him to the officers. He has cuts on his body. He's bleeding. And what do the officers do? They mocked him.
2: That's horrible. He is so emotionally vulnerable and physically in pain, no doubt, having been kicked in the jewels and in a complete anxiety attack, which can feel like you're dying. You can't get a deep breath. And they mock him. Bastards.
0: I know. It breaks my heart. Steve said that he knew by their reaction they weren't going to believe it. Word he said. So he just shut down. The cops did interview Sheila, who, of course, said she was defending herself and that Steve had attacked her. She also told them that Steve was mentally ill and intimated that it was of a dangerous nature instead of just anxiety, which was what he had been dealing with. So that afternoon, one of the cops goes back to Steve's house. Steve was about 276 pounds at that time. And that's a big guy. That's a big guy. But he says this cop was heavier and taller. The police officer came inside, shut the door behind him. He then told Steve that they had figured out Steve was the problem. And then this monster of a police officer said, quote, it seems like you're a typical guy that likes to pick on women. How would you like to pick on me? Steve felt completely trapped. Talk about that definition of agoraphobia, you said, Chella
2: right? I mean, Being spot in a on. where escape might be difficult and there's no help if you need it. That's exactly where he's at right now. You can't run from a police officer who's supposed to protect and serve everyone, by the way. Right. Why automatically believe the woman? Was she pretty? Did she bat her eyes? Did she cry her crocodile tears? Now he's baiting Steve. What the hell? I know. Steve said
0: this was one of the worst days of his life. He had nowhere to go. The cop said Steve was nothing more than a bully and kind of sized him up to indicate, you know, I'm bigger and a police officer and what are you going to do about it kind of vibe. Who are you going to call, buddy? He bumped his chest up against Steve and said, quote, how would you like to pick on someone your own size, end quote.
2: So he was really trying to get Steve to start a fight, you know, to hit That's him. That's exactly what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. And it's like, how did they pick the biggest guy in the force? To, to intimidate him. <sighs> Anyway, Steve
0: told him, it isn't what you think. I'm not this loose cannon that's going to erupt in a violent outburst. He felt so helpless. He had done nothing wrong, had not provoked Sheila, and had not provoked the officer. But here he was, now having another anxiety attack, being baited by a big-ass cop.
2: I keep thinking you're going to say the cop beat him up.
0: I was waiting for that as I was listening to the story, too. I thought the cop was going to just give him a beating. But the cop said, well, we can't prove who did what, so there's nothing we can do. Steve felt so
2: let down. Oh, but I can still come here and bully you. Right. We don't know what's really going on, but we're just going <laughs> to yeah. assume it had something there's to do with I you. There's nothing I can do, but I can intimidate you to death. Yeah. So even with him being the one with the bloody injuries? Yeah.
0: Yeah. He actually asked the cop, what if it was a woman who came in here with injuries? What would you do then? And he said, quote, that's easy. We would simply arrest you and put you in jail. That's just the way it is. End quote.
2: And that's just so unfair. I know. I don't want to diminish or detract from female victims of domestic violence at all, but the stereotyping is so unfair and just allows the enormity of female perpetrators to continue their abuse. I know. One in four men in the U.S. will experience rape, physical violence, and or stalking by intimate partner for women it's one in three that's not a very large gap and certainly not large enough to justify disregarding male testimony at all and men under report abuse and steve's story is a case in point as to why they don't
0: right they feel humiliation just saying they are abused and then they get humiliated for it so since steve lives in canada let's talk a little bit about those stats for a minute In an article in the Calgary Journal by Bill Atwood, it says police statistics continue to report that about 80% of victims of intimate partner violence in police-reported instances are female. But there is a report put out every five years on family violence following an anonymous survey. The last one was published in 2016, and they pulled a random sample of 33,127 Canadians asking if they had been abused by an intimate partner in the last five years. The results of the survey showed 4.2% of men were abused by an intimate partner as opposed to 3.5% of women. However, it's the police statistic of 80% women that is mostly used. Read that paragraph from the article,
2: Chela. Quote, experts explain that because these self-reported stats are often overlooked, this can lead to male victims being left out of the conversation and without proper support. They also explain that there has been an overuse of the police reported statistics by both academics and the media. This has led to situations where male victims have not been believed by police and in some cases even face accusations of being the perpetrator, end quote. Case in point, Steve. And there you have it. Those same
0: 33,127 Canadians polled were asked if they had ever reported their abuse to police. 70% said no. No. You cannot look at reported crimes for stats on abuse, especially for men. They're way off. Anyway, back to Steve. The separation from Sheila cost him dearly, just as he had feared. When he left her, she alienated him from the kids, enter parent alienation syndrome. He has shared custody and a custody order that grants him access to them. But at the time of this interview, he hadn't seen two of his kids in two years, and he hadn't seen his oldest child in four years. That's just too long. (sighs) Sheila has repeatedly told the kids that their dad abandoned them and that he ruined the family, that he abuses drugs and is an alcoholic.
2: This is sounding eerily familiar to all the things your brother's wife told their kids. I tell you, it's like a playbook they use. I don't know where they get this playbook. Somewhere and the verbiage on, somewhere, is all there. Yeah. And the, everything, it's scary. It must be on
0: the deep web. Yeah. The deep anyway... Web. It's straight out of the handbook, wherever they got it. An official told Steve, quote, access to your children is none of my concern. I am only concerned that you maintain child support payments, end quote. Well, that's empathetic. I get so pissed off at this. I have a friend who used to sing song, life's not fair, whenever I got upset. But this upsets me. This kind of crap has to stop. This is a different level. Men need to be valued, considered, and assumed to be truthful unless proven otherwise. The Me Too movement is very important, but let's add hashtag him too. Men matter. Steve was stressed to the max by the time he left Sheila, and though he had a job as a heavy equipment operator, wound up living out of his car for a while. No one knew he was homeless. He didn't tell a soul. He still showed up for work, but it can be really damp and cold and living in a car. Um, Steve contracted pneumonia. I know my brother got really sick living in a car. It was only because of his hospital stay that someone took notice and he wound up getting shelter for the next couple of years until he could figure out the rest of his life. In 2015, Steve graduated university in political science and has two honors, one in political science and one in psychology as well. Good for Steve. Several years ago, he said he hoped to get his master's degree in public affairs and international studies. So by now I hope, I hope he has. I hope he's well on his way. He delivered a very impassioned speech to the Legislative Assembly of Ontario and ended saying, quote, I am asking as a man, as a victim of domestic violence, as a victim of violence at the hands of a woman, as a child, to consider devising initiatives in a concerted effort, rather than creating programs or tools that are more potentially divisive. And what he was specifically referring to is the hashtag, who will you help sexual violence campaign? Did you watch that campaign on YouTube?
2: Yes. So we will put a link to it in the show notes, but basically it shows a guy trying to take advantage of a drunk girl, another one putting something in a woman's drink, another one sexually harassing a coworker. And then they look into the camera and say, thanks for not telling anyone or thanks for not saying anything or whatever. Then they flip it and have the woman say, thanks for telling someone and thanks for saying something. At the very end, this type comes across the screening saying, when you do nothing, you're helping him. But when you do something, you help her. Hence the hashtag, who will you help? Right. So each perpetrator in the ad is a man. Steve spoke to the assembly
0: a couple of weeks later and said he watched the campaign ads. And yes, he felt sympathy for the reality that women have been and are victims of sexual violence. But the ad made him afraid for men and how they were portrayed in the videos. I believe in one of the articles I read, he said, um, if it was as if the ads created more finger pointing at men, as if they are the only perpetrators and women are always victims. He said he thought the campaign unfair to so many others as well. Steve told the committee, quote, I am in full favor of a campaign raising awareness of sexual violence. However, care must be taken in our approach. That's right, our approach. If we emphasize one group as victims and another as perpetrators, have we not made enemies? What about the others who are victims, the transgender, the gender neutral, the aboriginal, the refugee, the recent immigrant, or the socioeconomically disadvantaged? None of this
2: was portrayed in any way in the video, end quote. End quote. It's so true. Why can't the campaign address violence and abuse without it being a gender issue? I have no idea. Read what Steve said below. He said, quote, I do not want to be stigmatized or pitted under the stereotype of what a man is, especially in a video such as this. See, the portrayal such as what has been made in the video has ramifications that have been detrimental to my own life, end quote. One of the legislators said that there
0: was a very clear issue with underreporting domestic violence and asked Steve what he thought could specifically be done to support men in reporting their abuse. He did not
2: mince words. Read what he told the committee, other. He said, quote, There are crucial institutions that compound the issue of domestic violence. One of them, I'm sorry to say, is law enforcement and the family courts. When you have the police come and report to a scene of an incident and they see somebody who, like I said, myself six or seven years ago, a larger man is crying because he feels powerless and for them to laugh or even an officer to come and suspect that you're the perpetrator, but he's bigger than you and actually is trying to make you lose your cool because he thinks you're the one who's the loose cannon. I think there has to be some sort of mandatory training on that because times have changed. We've seen where there has been training at work about understanding the issues of domestic violence against the spouse, against the woman. We're seeing that come into play, but now we're forgetting that there's a possibility that a man could be a victim as well. I think that in areas of enforcement, to give that man his sense of dignity and a sense of security is huge. Take a man of any strength or size and take away any sense of being able to defend himself, and he feels completely powerless. You feel absolutely powerless because there's nobody there who can stop it. Nobody who can put an end to it, end quote. Very well put and heart-wrenching. However, one entity has
0: since tried to change all of that. In 2018, the first family shelter for abused men and children opened in Canada. They get calls every single day since they opened their doors, men desperate to find a safe haven from an abusive domestic partner. Before that, and still largely true, Non-female access to vital support services, crisis interventions, and emergency counseling were almost non-existent, even though the Canadian Association for Equality says that single-father families are the fastest-growing family form in Canada. We put a link to their website in our show notes, and you will also find a no- donation button there. So ISOs, put your money where your heart is, you'll receive a donation receipt, and you can write um, those donations off on your taxes. Woo. Every little bit helps, but more awareness, more shelters, more support is desperately needed for men in those abusive situations. Steve Dolk considers himself lucky because he understands that many men didn't have the strength or wherewithal to see a way out and, like my brother, decided to just end their own lives. So ISOs, as always, we pray for your welfare and your healing. Until next time, be safe, be smart, and please survive.
1: If you or someone you love is being abused by an intimate partner, we have resources listed on our website at isolatedpodcast.com. If you have an experience, expertise, or advice you'd like to share, please send an email to at IsolatedPodcast.com or visit our website. Your privacy, should you desire it, is a top priority for us. You can support the work of this podcast and help fund much-needed therapy for men who can't afford it by becoming a member through our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash isolated podcast, which also gets you perks and benefits unavailable to non-members. You can cancel at any time. Your five-star review on iTunes will also help promote the show and help listeners find the podcast. Thank you so much for your support.